The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we have one of our favorite returning guests, Dr. Jennifer Jo Brout, the world's authority on misophonia, very knowledgeable about muscular dystrophy and so much more. Jennifer, welcome back to Exploring Different Brains. Thank you. It's great to be here, Hackey. I saw your interest in muscular dystrophy. And I was thinking to myself, there's something since long, long ago and part of my Boston University orthopedic residency was the Shriners Hospital for Children in Springfield, Mass., where we used to see quite a bit of this, that I've become ignorant over the years. And so I, when I read that about you, said, I've got to ask Jennifer Jo Brout all about muscular dystrophy. Well, I'm sure you're not ignorant. However, <laughs> so this is really a very interesting story. My grandfather, Paul Cohn, my late grandfather, founded the Muscular Dystrophy Association um, in the 1950s. Unfortunately, he passed away, not of a muscular dystrophy-related illness, but he passed away in the mid-60s. So as it was starting, you know, he unfortunately passed away, and... Um, but he started the telethon. Um, he was, yeah, he was, he was best friends with Jerry Lewis and Dean Martin. And well, you know, I, I, last time I saw him here on this earth was when I was four. So I don't know if you like to drink, but <laughs> that I don't know. But so he had a certain type of muscular dystrophy called fasciocapular humeral is another mouthful of a name but he began the he had a very mild version of it but he saw that nobody was researching it and he started this foundation uh, muscular dystrophy association has become huge and what happened between the time that my grandfather founded it and now is this sort of revolution and understanding that we have in genetics, which really has happened in the next 10 years. So really, in, I mean, in the last 10 years, rather. So in the last 10 years, there's been a lot of forward movement with the research. Um, and in fact, when my grandfather, and he, I should also give credit to Abe Millerat, Aid Millerat, excuse me, who also was the doctor who founded MDA with my grandfather. And at the time, they thought it was one, maybe two different types of diseases. Well, it turns out it's over 40 diseases with different causes. Some are genetic, some are epigenetic, some are more neurology-based, you know, um, so some are more autoimmune based. So there's all these different types of muscular dystrophies. The one that I have in my family is fasciocapular humeral, which 
was named for fascio face, scapula, the, the sort of wings in your back sticking out, um, and humeral meaning sort of the shoulder girdle. Of course, that's really named incorrectly because as it turns out, you can really have weakness in any different part of your body. So I was diagnosed at age 54 um, when I started to become weak, you know, in terms of my legs uh, around when I was 50. Um, and it took about four years to get the correct diagnosis. Uh, so, you know, I'm in the learning stages about it. Um, there's a lot of promising research, but it, as always, it's very, very complicated. Well, in my, it's my belief that when you have something systemic, such as muscular dystrophy, which is a problem with one of the proteins and, and so forth uh, with the muscle, that your brain has to, by necessity, rewire itself because you're using all your muscles differently. You're absolutely right. You're and, absolutely right. And the penultimate of that is, I had a discussion when I was on a, uh, a panel with J.R. Harding, who's the special advisor to the provost at the University of Florida for disabilities, um, because he broke his neck twice, and he's uh, in a wheelchair and is... Uh, uh, quadriplegic, but almost paraplegic, but he's completely independent. He's married. He's a funny guy, too. He, I asked him on the panel, how do, you, how do you break your neck twice, which he explained to me. But we were talking about that very thing because then you have to get into, depending on the severity of what you're dealing with, you have to get into use of uh, assistive technologies and uh, uh, almost to the point where your whole neurological system has to adapt in a special way to this. You're absolutely correct. And it's interesting that I hadn't thought of that and I haven't seen anything really written about that because that's kind of a global perspective, whereas everyone's looking at the genes, the genes, the genes now. But you're absolutely right. And I'm just baffled that you said that. I think that's brilliant, Hacky, really. Well, even a broken clock is right twice a day, you know. <laughs> I have my my rare moments. But uh, now you're affiliated with Duke? Well, I'm affiliated with Duke in that I founded the, originally it was called the Sensation and Emotion Regulation Program. We've now changed it to the Misophonia and Emotion Regulation Program. Because we're honing in just on Misophonia. And I'm also affiliated now with the FSH Society. So while MDA that my grandfather founded is doing a lot of work, they have split themselves into doing work for so many different diseases. And all diseases are important. So, But there are smaller societies and organizations and nonprofits who are focusing just on curing FSH. And one of those is the FSH Society, and I'm the New York chapter director now. Do they have any new directions in the research? Well, they do. I mean, so much has happened with genetics and epigenetics. So with FSH, you can have 
the defect of our mutated gene. But and we are, should mention to our audience that these rapidly mutate. So you can, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, no please, please feel free to add anything. Um, so you, there's three conditions really for FSH and it's different for every muscular dystrophy. Um, and for FSH, you have to inherit it's autosomal dominance, so it just takes one copy from one parent to inherit it. And you can actually have the gene. There's actually it's deletions on chromosome four, kind of the end of the chromosome. So one, you have to have the deletions, but that alone doesn't give you FSH. You then also have to have at the end of the chromosome adjacent to it, there are two variants called alle alleles. You know what they are, I'm sure. And so it has to land on the right allele. So, so you've got to have the deletions land on the right part, really, the right part of the chromosome. And then the third condition that has to happen has to do with methylization. So that's I'm sure I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But oh, you are. Believe me. I was okay. just an orthopedic surgeon. We're not too smart. Well, let me tell you, I could use an orthopedic surgeon, but that's another story. Um, but um, so with methylization, that is a pro that's sort of the whole epigenetic process where the DNA can be changed by the molecules that are added to the DNA by this process meth methylization. So in FSH muscular dystrophy, the methylization is less. Because it's less, it releases DUX4. DUX4 is normal and embryonic development, but it's supposed to be shut off. If it doesn't get shut off, it's toxic to the muscles. So <laughs> it's, there's many different ways you can have this. So you can be completely asymptomatic. You can have the mutation in the gene and be completely asymptomatic, which I was for 50 years. Um, and, you know, my, neither of my parents are symptomatic. Well, it would be in, you know, my grandfather's line. No one, you know, no one else is symptomatic, only on one side of my family. Um, so, you know, because the fact that genes can be activated and not activated, turned on and off, it's a whole new world. But the good news about that is it gives you a downstream process to intervene. Like, you don't just have to change the gene, which is what people are doing with something like CRISPR you know, where they can change the sequence. You can also stop DUX4 from being developed. And what is mainly being worked on now is something, a medication that will inhibit DUX4. That will stop the progression. And all of the principles you've just espoused with the deep science behind it, are also the same principles, not just for this, but for 
so many of the things that explain neurodiversity and so forth, and, and you know, totally. So it's, it's all, we see why there's more similarity between all of these things than there are differences. And something that's a little bit confusing to me, if it's true that it's autosomal dominant genes, okay, so then, now the, it seems that the females are affected much less with certain of the muscular dystrophies, but they carry the trait, the, the genes more. They're carriers, but they're not. That, that is, yes, you're right. That is true of some of the muscular dystrophies. However, those, you know, FSH is autosomal dominant, dominant, but that doesn't mean that in other, you know, that all muscular dystrophies are. So, um, and, I, and I think just the whole concept of epigenetics has changed how we think of recessive versus, yes. you know, dominant. And it, I would it, like to, I, I want to ask you to, just for the benefit of our audience, I learned a lot from uh, Dr. Malev Trevetti when I interviewed him. He's at Nova Southeastern, and he was explaining to me in very basic terms, epigenetics and how it kind of steers things and so forth. And you mentioned uh, genes, epigenetics, and alleles, okay? Just to name three of them. Could you give us a quick little two-minute primer course in this terminology for our audience? Okay, sure. Not to put you on the spot, but... The, the, the easy way, I think, to explain it is... You know, the old sort of way of thinking is if you have a gene, you have a gene. Now, and that would be just genetics, Mendelian genetics. So now what we understand is that through both internal and external processes, a gene can be activated or not. So it's different than recessive because recessive means you have to have two copies. So one from each parent, and it's likely that one parent may not manifest symptoms. Autosomal dominant is you only have to have one copy. But with the idea that the genes can be turned on and off, it does kind of shift the whole idea of what genetics really are. All right. So it's, it is. It's very confusing. It is. And uh, to make it more confusing, could we speak about some of the comorbidities that go along with some of the muscular dystrophies? Absolutely. So with FSH, for example, there are heart arrhythmias, although it does not usually affect the heart muscle in any really deleterious way other than these arrhythmias arrhythmias. Um, there is respiratory dysfunction, um, not for everyone. And, and the other thing is that there's, it presents so differently in people that you, it's, it's very hard to say, it, you know, how fast it'll progress, where in your body it will hit, it, you know, it's just totally mysterious. So given that though, the comorbidities and this is interesting, considering misophonia is um, hearing loss in the high ranges. So, um, 
So respiratory dysfunction, hearing ranges, hearing in um, the high ranges, um, heart arrhythmia, and also pain. Um, and, and this speaks to what you were saying about the brain reformatting based on, on the disease. Um, you know, in some sense, you start to, your body, without you kind of even knowing it, starts to use a muscle that is a little stronger, and then that muscle starts to hurt. There's inflammation involved, and there's also comorbidity with chronic fatigue, which is one of the things that I think is really important that people don't realize. Um, you, you are chronically fatigued because really just, you know, doing a small thing is like having a whole workout for many people. And also the, um, we should mention some of the mental health issues as comorbidities and neurodiversity issues. The mental health issues are, you know, I've thought a lot about it because I thought, well, you know, maybe there's something I could do to help people. But then I thought, well, I have to figure out this process myself first. And, you know, it's what I have, you know, if you are diagnosed with a progressive disease, you it's very hard to find the quote new normal because the new normal changes over time. So a lot of the, I mean, depression, absolutely. Um, anxiety, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people also end up unable to leave their house a lot, so they're isolated. And, you know, this happens with obviously a lot of diseases and disorders. Um, but I think kind of the key problem with this is that it's such a mystery in terms of how it's going to progress and also you can't really adapt to a new normal because the, there's the new normal is forever changing they keep so, moving those goalposts on you all the time that's right so you know in my thinking about okay what would i say to somebody in my position you know i've been thinking about that because you know you can't just go, there are a lot of therapists that work with chronic pain. There are a lot of, you know, you know, grief counselors. And there are a lot of people who work with people with disease. But the idea of a progressive, mysterious disease is very specific. You know, one day you could be, you know, and the other thing is it waxes and wanes. So like, like misophonia. Um, you know, if you're tired, it's worse. If you didn't sleep, it's worse. And then, you know, the other thing is, of course, employment problems for people. Um, you know, it's interesting when you talk about any disease or disorder, it really, a lot of it comes down to the same thing. Isolation, anxiety, depression, and employment problems. Yes, and, and we've one of the things that we all know is that aside from uh, exercise and Mediterranean style healthy diet and things of that nature that help all of our conditions no matter what they are neurological cancer diabetes heart disease whatever 
But the other big, big biggie is socialization and strong social relationships. And to get isolated, well, now you're going to have more dementia, you're going to have more and more mental health problems, and it goes on and on. Absolutely. And I would not be surprised, I did see in some of the research, that some people have reported with FSH um, cognitive issues, not necessarily dementia, but you know, who knows how that connects? So you're having cognitive issues because you were so anxious, you were so depressed, you're overloaded, you're, your attention is on how you're getting around versus what's going on. But there is, or are you, is it because you're so fatigued? So there are cognitive differences, I feel. Um, oh, and the other thing I should mention that I forgot as a co-occurring disorder is a, a small part of the population has a eye vessel disorder, um, which, you know, which is a whole nother thing. So, you know, it's interesting. It's named, it was named for face, shoulders, and your back. And here you've got your eyes, your let, you know, and your brain reconstructing as, as, as we know. Well, you got, you're so enlightening. I'm telling you, like you got to keep up your good work. I'm trying. I really well, am. Well, you're doing a great job. You're doing a great job. And uh, we really appreciate it. You're doing so much on all fronts. And uh, it's wonderful to be able to speak with you again. How do we learn more about you? Our audience wants to go to your website and learn more about you and more about misophonia and more about everything we've spoken about today, where do they go? What do they do? So for misophonia, I would suggest going to misophoniainternational.com. That's um, my research site is more for doctors, which is misophonia-research, anyone's interested. But then misophonia kids. And then for FSH, I think there are a lot of good nonprofits working. Um, I would suggest probably FSH Society, um, just because I know, I'm working with the people there and they're just incredibly hardworking, kind people. And, you know, they have like a four or five step, the highest rating you can have for nonprofit. And, you know, every, almost everything goes into the research, into the research, which is what you want to see. Um, so people can also go to the Muscular Dystrophy Association um, and, and they have clinics. Um, so, you know, but for mental health care, that is the is one of the missing links that and actually orthopedics too because you know I always feel like well you know I also have osteoarthritis in my knee and maybe if I could fix that somehow I'd have more stability you know so it's it's one of those whole body whole mind things going on. Dr. Jennifer Joe Brout, yet again, thank you for coming back and thank you for educating us on all that you do. Keep up the great work. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains, Inc. 
For more information, visit us at differentbrains.org.